This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The title of the book, Ethereal Mantras, Affirmations, and Notions for Placid and Peaceful Earth Plane Transversal. And the author will call him no one, but his real name, the secret to no one, is Anthony Rogers. And Anthony joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Anthony. Hello. Great. How are you? Great to have you with us. Now, we're going to get a better understanding in a bit here about why you use no one as the author's name on your front cover. But it is a big title, but there's a lot of meaning into all those words that you shared with us. Now, this is really a a book of introspection. That's what I get from it. You're causing us to think about who we are and not Mm -hmm. so much what we think we are, right? Right. I mean, we may think, well, I'm a teacher, I'm a businessman, a businesswoman, I'm, I'm a doctor, but you're, de- you're going deeper into each one of us. Absolutely. Not only who we are, but how we relate to each other and how we relate to different groups in our culture and how we relate to the planet. Um, you know, basically introspection about interpersonal and interpersonal relationships. We're all spirit, as you say. Absolutely. Beautiful light beings, as a, a Buddhist say. Um, I do identify as a Buddhist, as a Wiccan, and as a spiritual person. So how did this all come about, Anthony? How did you get into this way of thinking, way of living, and then how did this book come about? Okay, how this came about is... Um, well, what did they, what did they say? A cautionary tale, or um, basically, um, growing up African American in the South, uh, getting exposed to Southern Baptist religion and the hypocrisy there, and the racism there, and the sexism there, and the homophobia there, uh, it just never resonated with me. So, I've always considered myself to be. Spiritual, even though I was forced to go to church as a child, I didn't have a choice. Uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people had to endure that. But um, as I got into education, um, you know, earning my degrees and uh, going to different workshops uh, and also teaching, I got exposed to Eastern philosophy. And that just resonated more with me. It just fit my perverse personality more uh, regarding to, you know, mutual loving kindness for everyone, uh, reverence for the parent, and uh, basically uh, anti-ism, ism, uh, which, uh, again, you picked out one of the, uh, one of my writings, Sickness, which kind of talks about the isms. So even though I grew up with isms, um, I never um, related to them. I mean, I never identified with them. And even though I received the consequences of them, uh, I never saw that as valid or true. 
And so basically the book came about is over the years through personal and professional development. Uh, you know, I would just write things down and, you know, just put it in a drawer, <laughs> just write things down and put it in a drawer. And, um, you know, it's classic, you know, when I get around to it, I'm going to learn how to play a piano. When I get around to it, you know, I'm going to take a trip when I get around to it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so basically I decided I got around to it and published a book. Well, in the format of the book, very different, short, brief thoughts in prose, in poem, uh, mm-hmm. As poems, uh, you think brevity is very important, don't you? Yes, I do, because I think if, if you go on and on and on, you kind of lose uh, the meaning. And also, I think it's, uh, I mean, I think it's a very, you know, accepted viewpoint that, like, when a book is turned into a movie, most people prefer the book over the movie. You're familiar with that for my phenomenon, right? Right, right. And I think that's because... When you have the book, you have your imagination. Whereas with a movie, the producers and directors kind of put everything out there for you. You know what I mean? So I think by having brevity, you kind of plant the seed, and then the reader can kind of fill in the blanks, you know, can kind of make it their own. By making it their own, then they can really get the message or they can really interpret it in a way that makes sense to them. In fact, there is a notion that, that people can't teach you anything that you don't already know. Are you familiar with that? Right. Well, you know it from within, correct? Exactly. So basically, you're getting exposed to something that you already know. So you're triggering so, these innermost, under. This really, this not only innermost feelings, but inner, innermost truth that exists in all of us. Right. Absolutely. And, and it's all been said before. And, you know, in different ways. Uh, Why the you know poetic I mean? form? Why the poetic form? Uh, because I think poetry is, 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 is again, it is simple and it's not arduous. And, and again, it just gives me, it gave me the fluidity, you know, to write something for four lines or five words or 25 words. You know what I mean? And, and also, right, so it's not like a workshop, where the workshop is a specific uh, format that you need to follow. And it's that form because I wanted to exercise poetic license. <laughs> In fact, while, while I was writing my book and while I was getting edited, you know, um, I got into, you know, conflict with my editors because they said, oh, you need to change this to that so people will know that. And I think, well, if I change this to that, it won't be my word. It'll be your word. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, before we talk about No One, the author of this book, uh, let's hear from you. Why don't you read one of your favorites? Now, here's one of my favorites. Perfection. That's page 23 if you're following along. Go ahead. Do you have it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Perfection is the popular projected illusion that is really poison. Poison that destroys our sense of self-worth, self-esteem, and confidence by allowing us to think that we are less than or not good enough, don't measure up, have failed, and are consequently failures. Purge the poison. Know that nothing is truly perfect. Hence, you don't have to be either. Expend effort and energy toward and for your goals. 
remembering that a steady stream of water cuts fissures and caverns into mountains. Again, everyone, that's coming from no one because Anthony has this view of life, a unique view that I think when you explain this, we'll understand, Anthony. Now, give us, you know, An give us the, of yeah. perfection. Okay. Well, part of it, of course, uh, again, saying I'm from the South, I'm African American, right? So racism is that there are certain races that are perfect, right? <laughs> And if you're not that race, you're imperfect. Uh-huh. And then you have body image, you have social economic status, you have religious belief or spiritual belief. I mean, basically all the isms that said you are or not perfect. Um, and then you have this huge obsession with competition. And that was the non- one of the also one of the my major uh, motivations for this piece. Is because the focus is on winning versus being a good sport. A good example is I play volleyball, also play Scrabble, but by most, yeah, it's it's more um, flagrant or apparent on the volleyball court because some people are obsessed with winning, whereas I like to have, you know, I like to get the vitamin D, I like to be at the beach, I like the sunshine, and I like to exercise. Yes, I like to play a, a good game. But if I win, I don't need to beat my chest. And if I lose, I don't need to, you know, start yelling or throwing balls or cursing or getting upset. (laughs) So (laughs) to me, the journey is a destination. So our culture, especially American culture, is obsessed with perfection. You know, it kind of goes on line with that. Well, nurses are people who can't be doctors. Have you heard that before? Yes. Right, exactly. Whereas a person may be perfectly fine being a nurse. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. So we are perfect, and there's no such thing as imperfection. And I know some religious people say, well, we're perfect because God made you that way. Um, I don't necessarily need that. I just think we are perfect. And so if you embrace the idea that you're perfect, then any changes that you can make or want to make, it's because you want to make, not because someone says, oh, you have to do this in order to be perfect. And then, and the other problem with being perfect is like, once you do that, then you're gonna have to do something else. <laughs> if someone else, you know, if somebody says, oh, you need a nose job, you know, oh, you need to lose 20 pounds. Well, now you need to do this, now you need to do that. It never ends. If someone's validating who you are as a person, you'll never live up to that standard. So, but when you embrace yourself as I am perfect and accept yourself for who you are, then you can decide what you want to do. And it'll be because you want to do it, not because you need to do it to meet some standard. Anthony is a licensed clinical social worker and a personal and professional life coach. He also conducts weekly dating and relationship groups. And he's a business consultant. So how does this way of thinking help you in these different areas of your life? Um, it helps me because basically the whole idea of perfection, uh, of course, puts um, a huge strain on one's self-esteem. And so businesses have self-esteem, the way they treat their customers, the way they treat their um, um, clients. Their, you know, the way they treat their employees, how upper management communicates, etc. 
Uh, families have self-esteem, relationships have self-esteem, and of course everyone else has self-esteem. So again, if you come from the viewpoint of acceptance and growth and encouragement and empathy, then that facilitates the, the healthy functioning of whatever system you're working with, whether it's a family, whether it's a company, whether it's a relationship. As we conclude our discussion about Anthony's book, I wanted to have you read, Anthony, your titled poem, Ownership. I think that kind of really focuses in on a lot that we have been discussing. Ownership. You do not belong to your gender, race, culture, religion, city, state, county, country, parents, partners, lovers, children, government, sexuality, political party affiliation, social class, school, college, occupation, significant other, spouse, or any others you can think of. You belong only to self. Hence, primary loyalty is to Anthony. Therefore, it is permissible and okay to say no to any or all of them. True fulfillment and happiness will be yours, see, when you are able to say no to others and yes to thee. We need to say yes to ourselves more often. Absolutely. And by saying yes to yourself, you really are being respectful to everyone else in your life. Because when you're saying no to yourself, um, again, from a clinical standpoint, you're being passive or passive aggressive. And eventually that energy is going to come out and there's going to be resentment. Okay. So it's like uh, a bottle of water on a, um, on a burner. Eventually, you know, it's going to overflow. <laughs> and then you're going to get, you're going to hurt yourself more and you're going to hurt the relationship more or the people sense, people more. So people think, you know, being a yes man or being compliant is a good thing. But, you know, it's not okay to be compliant or to, again, think that these, you know, constructs that I've written down own you because once you do, you put yourself in a box or basically you create your own uh, prison, your own hell, uh, so to speak. It's kind of interesting because I like to go to like aquariums and zoos and some people say to me, well, Anthony, what, you know, how can you go see those caged animals? I'm like, well, I can go see those caged animals because I love tigers and I'm not going to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and aren't we all in cages anyway? You know, and so that creates a whole other conversation, right? Like, are we all in a cage? You know, oh, I can't do this because I'm too old, or I can't do this because I'm too young, or I can't do this because that seems stupid, or I can't do this because it's too risky. I mean, so the cages are in our brain, are in our mind. We've been talking with Anthony Rogers. He's no one as the author of Ethereal Mantras, Affirmations, and Notions for Placid and Peaceful Earth Plane Transversal. That is a mouthful, but his thoughts, 
His prose, his poetry causes us to reflect and to dig deep into who we really are. Anthony, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? The best way to get my book is on Amazon.com. You can get hard copy and an e-copy. Put the title in, and um, it'll be there for you. It's also available on iTunes. Speaking of, you know, dreams and who you are, when I wrote the book, I resided in Santa Monica. Now I'm in Maui, the most popular island in the world. I don't know if it has as proclaimed by CNN News. So that was part of my dream to move to Hawaii. So I've been here for eight months. Um, So if you're in Maui, um, you can give me a call at 310-386-1808, and I can sell you a signed copy. And also my email is lifecoachacr at aol.com, lifecoachacr at aol.com. If you'd like to get a copy that way, you can reach, I can be reached at. Well, Anthony, you're the most interesting no one I have ever talked to. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Total Package Girl Discover the Ultimate You for Life. And this book is quickly climbing the Amazon charts and soon will be a number one bestseller, I believe. Joining me from her offices in Ohio is author Christy K. Hoffman. Thank you, Christy, for joining me today. Good morning. Good to be here. Good to talk with you. I've looked over your book and find it fascinating. There uh, certainly is a, a lot of uh, lot of material in your book, almost 300 pages. There must have been something that uh, struck your interest in this area, and uh, is there something in your early life that uh, caused you to want to write this book, or what was your motivation behind it? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. I have been mentoring and working with young girls, uh, 11 to 17, for a couple of decades now. I have watched the evolution of issues that impact and face our girls today. And it's everything from mean girls to cyberbullying to issues of cutting and eating disorders and Mm. identity issues. All of those things, as I go out and speak to girls across the country and different groups, I recognize that this is getting worse, not better for our teen girls and our preteen girls. I have spent about the last four years researching Total Package Girl 
and developing success tools. I actually call them secret weapons within the book so that girls can stay strong and start to navigate some of these issues. Fabulous. Your your personal motivation, as, as well as observing what's happening in the culture, is there anything else that got you on this track or got you focused on this journey? I think in my younger years, I saw bullying, and at that time, we didn't really label it as such. We kind mm. of dealt with it and watched kids kind of move away from schools or be picked on incessantly. And that's something that motivated me highly as I started writing this book and researching it, is those issues are here today, but compounded by social media, by, you know, the Snapchat, being left out of the Snapchat stories and Instagram, are you liked, are you not liked, are you retweeted, are you not retweeted, uh, that is that new sort of, a, I call it a cyber popularity world. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a part of that, you really, really see these girls kind of thinking through, do I want to commit suicide? Do I right. want to move away? Do I want to withdraw? Do I want to turn to drugs? So I've been talking with girls, as I said, across the country and hearing their stories. And when I tie my background and my youth and my teenage years and all the way through to right now, I can truly identify with some of these girls. And I want so badly for each girl to have a tool in a book like this on her nightstand that she can say, I can go to this book. I can feel like I am never alone. You have, uh, again, almost 300 pages. Describe for my listeners a little of the style of your book, because it's not just a lecture series. It's uh, more than that. It's motivational. It has other elements. Yes. Okay, so three years into writing this book, I looked at the book and I thought, hmm, this is flat. It doesn't have a lot of interaction, and it needs to be more vibrant, if you will. So I copied my manuscript. I handed it to many, many girls with a red pen, and I said, go at it, have at it. What would make this much more interesting for you, more fun? So after doing that, we added a bunch of quizzes and get-to-know-me-better kinds of activities, super fun. I added inspirational quotes. I added hashtags. Uh, We all worked together and kind of had great input from the girls and uh, teens, and it has just, it changed it. So then that was three years in. Then it took me about another year to add the quizzes and the hashtags and the quotes and such, and we have these great tools for success, like bully action plans and being positive and how to learn how to deal with difficult people and you know, shutting out negativity and all those fun things that uh, really I think the activities help the girls to work through some of these difficult issues. And uh, our feedback then, once the book got published, was, wow, this is a really fun book, but it's also super informative, and it really helps me... Uh, understand that somebody is with me on this, somebody gets it, and that I'm never alone. It's fabulous. You have uh, broken it down into four distinct parts. Uh, The first part is Meet the Unstoppable Total Package Girl. Mm -hmm. uh, Part two, Five Secret Weapons of the Total Package Girl. Package, uh, package, actually, part three, absolute reality. Reality is something that uh, teenagers like to escape from and some adults. Uh, part four, be the total package girl for life. Now, this, the elements of your, of your book and of your philosophy and of your teaching really are gearing someone to go beyond their teen years and surviving those, but also use it later in life. Would that be uh, the right observation? It sure would be. In fact, part four that you're talking about is the master plan. So if you take the term literally, total package girl, the total package is her body, her brain, and her spirit. And so many times we emphasize for girls and women 
simply the physical. Uh, you see the images in the media, on magazines, and in social media, everywhere. And so this takes it beyond that, helps each girl develop her own strategies for success and her own master plan for her body, her brain, and her spirit. And so by the time she finishes reading the book, she has her own kind of uh, GPS that she's following in her own path, her own master plans to be a total package girl. And I agree completely with what you said. This becomes a strategy for life. You take these tools. If girls can learn these tools at this young age, my goodness, they will be so much more successful in their lives because it's basically instilling confidence early uh, in their teen years, and they can then proceed to navigate the workforce and you know, relationships as they go forward, friendships. It really gives them some great secret weapons to navigate some of those things for life. And your book has uh, sort of a question and answer or uh, maybe an observational element to it where the reader can take an idea or concept and try to apply it right there on the spot uh, into areas that they might be dealing with. This is something that could be an extension of a diary, perhaps, or some other lifestyle uh, growth pattern that they might develop. Mm-hmm, that's true. Uh, and it could take something as specific as bullying or anti-bullying, and there's an action plan for that. Or it might be something like, who are my true blue friends? We use the term true blue often because in life, we want to make sure that we're surrounded by positive people, uh, solid friendships. And sometimes, it, you know, it's, it's tough to find who's not going to throw us under the bus. Uh, let's find one friend, and that friend might be a grandparent, it might be a neighbor, or it might be a parent or a sibling, but whoever that person is, we're having, we have sections in the book that allow girls to kind of journal and write down, these are my true blues, this is who I turn to, this is the action step I'm going to take should I be bullied, this is how I help a friend of mine if they're in a situation, and this is how I deal with peer pressure moments and what I'm never going to let happen. And there's even a part, as you mentioned, where they can develop their own little mantra So if they're walking down the beach and they're feeling very insecure about their body image because they have a bathing suit on and somebody made fun of them for being, you know, you know, called them a name or something, uh, they have a little mantra. And we say, here, write your mantra in this section of the book. And always remember that and go back to that so that you can rock your body image and not feel insecure or anything less than confident in who you are. You've mentioned cutting in your opening statements that there uh, are some elements of that in our society among girls. Where do you think that began and or how long ago did that begin and what do you think is motivating it? Well, boy, that's a real personal issue, and oftentimes I'll say I leave that, you know, on an individual level to the counselor or someone who's working with that girl. But uh, I can say some of those issues, such as cutting or eating disorders, they stem from things that could tie to perfection issues. I'm not perfect, uh, so therefore I'm not good enough. So it kind of goes back, if you back that up a little further, it ties to self-esteem, self-worth. Negative comments that are repeatedly stated to a person uh, can really lead to feeling inadequate. So this is why Total Package Girl is such a relevant and critical book for girls, is that they can begin to feel like, yes, I am relevant, just as I am, I am perfect, just as I am. I call it imperfectly perfect. We all are. And I am good enough just as I am. So that girls start to feel like, okay, I don't need to turn to these other things, whether it's, you know, thinking about doing drugs or, or um, something tied to cutting or eating disorders, but to say, you know what, I look darn good just as I am. Mm. I've talked to some girls who will say, I don't even want to look in the mirror because I feel so ugly. And I'll say, well, wow. you know, gosh, I, I don't see that at all. And they'll say, well, it's because people have repeatedly told me that since I was 
you know, since I can remember. Wow. So Total Package Girl is really, really hope, you know, we're hoping to get kind of on the front end of some of these issues so that uh, drugs, alcohol, teen suicides, all of those things are prevented in the long term or the shorter term, actually, in some cases. What's the youngest age that would uh, be able to absorb the contents of your book, do you think? Well, boy, you know, I would say sometime uh, 10, 10 years of age uh, is the youngest, I would say, for Total Package Girl. Uh, 11 to 17 is kind of the sweet spot in terms of girls really dealing with and navigating some of these issues. We do learn, and some of the Girl Scouts of the USA research would also tell you, that girls do tend to lose some of their, their positive comments about body and some of their positive feelings about their body by the age of 10. Wow. I mean, there are girls who are going on diets at the age of 10 because they don't feel they look, quote-unquote, good enough. And so I think the age of 10 on is a great age for girls to read Total Package Girl. And frankly, I've had moms read it with their daughters. Again, this is not a, a parenting book. This is a book directly for girls to read. But I have also said to moms, dads, and grandparents, if you read this along with your daughter or your grandchild, uh, what a great opportunity for you to understand some of the issues that they're navigating and to open up the dialogue with them on what they're feeling, what they're facing, and some of those things that are really front and center in their lives that you might not have known about had you not had Total Package Girl. I think you brought up a good point. Uh, parents and grandparents possibly would be a, a, a good source for reading a book of this nature. Sometimes the self-image thing is systemic in a family, and perhaps the mom or grandparent or someone else in the family has carried forward that negative thought process. That could very well be the case. Sometimes I do find in talking with the thousands of girls I speak with on, a rate, on an annual basis, we, you know, I'm talking across the country, and yes, sometimes the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, mm. uh, so there's, there is that, to be sure, uh, but I do feel like an awareness, if you can get a book like this in a girl's hands, to at least open her eyes to some of the strategies and the success tools that she can use, it's something, something very simple, perhaps, on if you're, if you're being picked on or you're being bullied, just having what I call confident eyes so that you're not revealing anything that looks like you're weaker than you are, or, or perhaps uh, you know, uh, coming across to someone as very confident is all it takes sometimes. So, yes, I agree with that. Is there anything about preparing this book and the contents that was really a difficult challenge for you? I know that you mentioned that you, you did give it to some other readers to get their input. Was there anything else that perhaps uh, people will discover as they read your book? Uh, something, let's see here, something that what was difficult yet uh, eye-opening for me is hearing the stories. I know on our website, uh, the Total Package Girl website, we do have testimonials through our YouTube channel of some of the, the very difficult stories that I heard from girls along the way. And sometimes it's just very tough to hear mm. what the struggles are that they're going through. And it just, your heart breaks when you hear the hurt and the pain. But... On the bright side of that, I really feel that if they can read Total Package Girl, they know they are not alone. They can get through that. This is a moment, hopefully in time, that will pass, that they will be stronger and they will be able to kind of build on that and not feel uh, that they can kind of um, circumvent issues that may be coming their way in the future. That is what I hope for Total Package Girl. It is really tough, though, I will tell you, to hear 
the difficulties our 21st century girls face today. Yes. It's quite daunting when you see some of the hashtags that are used. Hashtag GKY, go kill yourself. Mm. That's, a common, that's a common hashtag now. Ouch. Can you imagine receiving that? Can you imagine mm. the, some of the, the, the negative pictures and posts and verbiage that's going on with our girls and receiving that on your own? We really have to teach our girls to be strong and powerful from within. That's why we have Total Package Girl. Uh, Christy, I, I have enjoyed uh, looking over this book. There must be maybe a sequel in the works. What are your plans for the future? There is a sequel. It is called Total Package Professional, which will take girls from that next, or from the Total Package Girl years of 11 to 17 or 10 to 17 into kind of that young professional chapter of their lives, navigating college and then getting into the workforce. Additionally, I am working on a workbook for guys oh, they in need that help. teenage year <laughs> called The Total Guy. Wonderful. Well, those are uh, some exciting plans for the future. Hope to visit with you when those are completed. Thank you. Very difficult subject, but you've done a fabulous job in uh, presenting the ways that teens and preteen girls can gain personal self-confidence and improve their attitude about their life and their self-image. Title again is Total Package Girl, subtitled Discover the Ultimate You for Life. My guest has been award-winning television producer and past TV media personality with PBS, Christy K. Hoffman. Christy, my listeners need to get a copy of this. How do they do so? They can get one on Amazon.com, Total Package Girl. They can go to BarnesandNoble.com. They can go to our website, Total Package Girl, and click over and get it that way as well. They can plug in and find out more about your work in this area. Thank you again for sharing your story. Again, your website is? My website is TotalPackageGirl.com, and I hope we can spread the word and every person listening can grab a copy and, and help our preteen and teen girls be strong. Uh, thank you for sharing your story and sharing this important topic with us today. Again, the title is Total Package Girl. Discover the ultimate you for life. Christy K. Hoffman has been my guest. Thank you, Christy, for joining me today. Thank you. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality and a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on AstronetRadio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meat, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Welcome back to Author Talk. Brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Jumble of Thoughts. And joining me from Florida, where he happens to be at the moment, is author James Sitton. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Thank you for having me today. How are you? Well, doing fine. And looking over the review of your book, or at least the outline of uh, some of the opinions about your book, it is definitely a jumble of thoughts. It's not just one particular topic that you deal with here. And uh, you uh, are 
unique from this perspective. You have a, a diverse background, and yet authorship seemed to be in your future. Did you? Are you a, a person that collects stories and then assemble them? How did this book get written? Well, um, as one does in the course of a career uh, of, of like mine, I had gotten injured, and I had back-to-back knee surgeries, which laid me up for about a period of, of four months. Mm. And sitting around and doing nothing is not something I really like to do. And I have a lot of opinions on things, and I started jotting them down. And as I continued to write them down, they these essays started coming out. That's what I called them, essays. Right. And before I knew it, I had a collection of these essays. And they were topics ranging from everything, everything that maybe uh, something had piqued my interest on television or something my wife had brought to my attention or from my three children or, or a friend or something in the newspaper. And so I just started writing my opinions on certain things. And then um, some stories that I had from my career over the years, and that's how it started. You have, uh, it says, that your essays include uh, things like foreign policy, which seems like a deep and mysterious subject, uh, even to the uh, broad scope or broad brush of lighting a grill. Now, that certainly is an unusual topic to choose for uh, an essay. How did that come about? Well, that essay is actually dedicated to one of to my favorite uncle um he's a uh, of mine who told me and showed me instructed me one of the uh, what i thought was the neatest ways to light a grill and the essay is dedicated to him um lighting a grill is of course talked about in the essay and uh my favorite uncle uh, uh my uncle mark um and there's some humor about the the way i refer to him in the essay itself but that that's how that came about and and if people want to know about how to light a grill in this manner i will tell you that it does involve a blowtorch <laughs> uh completely legal by the way but it is it is it is a neat way to light a grill and there's a neat story in the essay uh, as well 212 pages you you have uh, you obviously have a different perspective on life you must be what would be considered or were you considered as a child adhd because uh, these stories are very diverse <laughs> well, I don't. Well, when I grew up, and, and perhaps I'm dating myself here, there was no such thing as ADHD. They right. just said, "Oh, well, he's particular in a certain area." Yeah. <laughs> or, or <laughs> this one is uh, is particular and likes things neat. You know, there was no such thing as OCD or ADHD at that time. Right. It was more, oh, uh, James would rather go outside and play cowboys and Indians, which was an actual game. I know that's maybe not the way you would call it now. Rather than do math, mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I, I mean, I don't know of any child who would rather sit and do math. Well, I take that back. My little brother would. He's got a Ph.D. in nanotechnology. Oh, so boy. perhaps he was the child who would like to stay in your math. Yeah, he he really ruined it for the rest of his siblings um, <laughs> by getting that Ph.D. I'm the oldest. He's the youngest, and he got his Ph.D. But but the, the topics are all over the place and it's so uh, you know people can jump around they don't have to read the book straight through you know they can just pick it up and turn to something and and they can pick up on on something and also there's a pretty extensive appendix in the book which makes up uh, a lot of the pages so if people want to go more in depth they can do that just beyond the 5 minute read and also 
I did work for the government for 23 years. I think there's a lot of things that can be improved in such a great organism. Um, so I put the uh, I put the name and number of every senator and congressman, <laughs> their direct phone number in the back of the book, in case you want to call your representative. You were a little bit of an instigator then, it sounds like, as a child and maybe as an adult. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I had a very successful career, let's put it that way. Mm. Uh, I, uh, uh, so I was very good at my job, and, and uh, you, you a job that I really enjoyed. You, throughout, yeah, I started very young, and, and, and it was terrific. And you managed to rein in your uh, eccentricities, if they were called that by anyone else. You even mentioned uh, Frank Sinatra in your book. Why was he included, and what was the story, or generally, what was the, the tale that you shared? Okay, well, beyond just uh, the music, obviously, and most people don't realize that he created the album concept. Again, I'm dating myself, but hmm. a collection of movies, maybe, to, uh, I'm sorry, a collection of songs to follow a, a theme. Um, but there was something about, you know, and I wasn't alive during this period of time, but Frank Sinatra uh, from about 1955 to peaking at 1957 to about 1962, 63, right when he started the reprise record label, where he and his friends seemed to be the coolest guys in the country. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, with everything else that was going on in the world and everything that I've read, these, these guys seemed to, you know, they dressed nice, they had fun, they, they maybe weren't the nicest people uh, behind closed doors, but, but human beings but they seem to be having a lot of fun and they seem to do it with a, with a little bit of style and something that I think that, that we've lost today. For instance, we don't, men don't go in for straight razor shaves anymore because it's too expensive. You know, why mm-hmm. did we lose that? Because everybody's in a hurry, you know, all of these things that we've seemed to have lost. And that's why I had that little thing on Frank Sinatra, it, that, that icon to me would symbolize what we, what, what maybe men or maybe a society uh, kind of have lost along the way. I mean, people will go to the grocery store now to get a gallon of milk, and it looks like they're they're in their pajamas because they are in their pajamas. And people didn't (laughs) used to do that. People would, you know, I mean, unless it was an emergency, people Mm -hmm. used to actually present themselves. And I'm not talking about a midnight milk run for your baby who's screaming and I have three children. I'm talking in the middle of the day. True, true. Uh, You'll see people that like that. So I think we've lost something by not, presenting ourselves in a, in a, in a certain way and, and treating each other in a certain way. So that's, now that's not all in the essay, but that's why I chose that topic. And I will, I, I was going to say I was going to date myself, but I, I'm not allowed to do that. Um, there also <laughs> are, are some comments on, on etiquette, which I personally, I have, I, I'm old enough to have grandchildren and, and I'm constantly saying, well, would you consider doing that? Or what about that? Or how about, you know, they, they have certain cultural trends that have, uh, that just cause me to itch all over. How did you approach the etiquette uh, topic? Well, the, some of the etiquette issues made my, made my work a lot easier. For instance, let me, let me give you one example. One example is there used to be a thing called discretion on the street. When you were walking in public down a sidewalk, you would lower your vo- voices when you were talking to each other mm-hmm. or maybe not talk at all. Nowadays, people will walk down the sidewalk blurting out their deepest, darkest secrets into their cell phone or into their Bluetooth for the whole world to hear. Now, as a special agent, if I was conducting an investigation, this made my job a whole lot easier, especially if the target was a one on the cell phone. Mm. But 
something like that, that something like that, something as simple as that, you know, that, that is a, that is a, that was etiquette that you would just have, you know, outside. And that's not taught. Um, uh, for instance, I'm teaching my children. If you're in a restaurant and you drop your, you drop a piece of silverware, you don't bend over to pick it up. You know, they'll bring you a new one because the floor is dirty and what have you. And I have a, I have a nephew and he didn't know that. Now it was no fault of his own that, that he didn't know that, but uh, how is that possible? I mean, what if, uh, how many other people didn't know that? So, so I kind of addressed that issue. And then some of these rules, they're not necessarily rules, but they're things that, that make your life easier. And they also protect yourself. I mean, if you want to go into Facebook or what have you, they should be updated for the cyber world, but etiquette is still etiquette. And I think it still has a place in our society. And that kind of goes right back to the Frank Sinatra thing, doesn't it? It does. It does. It's it's mostly personal courtesy, I guess, uh, in treating other people the way you'd like to be treated, which is an old adage that goes back centuries. Uh, treat people the way you want to be treated, and that is one of the foundations of etiquette that seems to be missing in our society. I, I agree. I mean, anything from standing in line at the bank, which everybody has to do, and I'll just use the bank as the easy example and not, not do the, not do the, not do the DMV or something like that, but the bank, I mean, Mm -hmm. it takes time to to stand in line at the bank, but the tellers are working as fast as they can. And sometimes it's not their fault. And people have business transactions to do that is just important to them that, that your transactions is as important to you. And there's nothing you can do about the wait. So you might as well be nice to people. I mean, be nice to employees, be nice to the people in line, not huff and puff or, or carry on. I mean, if you're going to make, and if you're in that much of, of a rush, then make, then come back to a bank at a different time. There's something like that. When you see people that are miserable, you kind of want to say, hey, or I kind of want to say, hey, everybody could be miserable, but, or we could all just say, well, standing in the bank, in the line of the bank isn't the most fun thing to do. But we're all here. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we should at least be courteous to yeah, one another. Get, get used to it. Is basically it. Now, in your six, uh, 212 pages, how many stories uh, did you write, or approximately? And do, would you consider this a book of entertainment or instruction? What would be the best way to describe it? Well, it's definitely well. It's entertaining if you like to hear someone else's opinion, and it's definitely not instruction. The, in, in the uh, in the preface of the book, I write that uh, aside from my hope that it's a financial pleasure to help my children go to school, and uh, but I hope it's to make people think. And the fact that it's in print doesn't doesn't make it right or wrong. It just happens to be my opinion, and. In my and continuing with my opinion, the ability to articulate a point of view and have it challenged without getting upset, and perhaps even change your mind without changing your moral character, your moral character is a gift. And this is just to make people think. It's to make people think about a lot of topics. There are some fun topics in this book, and there are some serious topics. But it's all nonfiction. You could call it philosophy. You could call it. You could call it. social sciences, you could call it uh, whatever you want, uh, but it's, uh, but it, the, the essays are so vast, everything from why, how some states are, it's illegal to use your flashers in the rain and it could actually be dangerous to, mm. as you said, lighting the grill, to Frank Sinatra, to foreign policy. So there's, there's no stories in there as in a fiction story, but, uh, but there is a lot in there that I Hope is entertaining. And some may call it the musings of a deranged author, but it's not really that, is it? 
<laughs> well, no, it's not. But but one but one. Um, I did see one press release. They call it the musings of a special agent. But uh, Duran is the author. No, because um, well, I guess now I, I would be author, but I'm not deranged. So, yeah. um, but I do, again, but I do have I do have a lot of lot of opinions, a lot of strong opinions. I've lived I've lived around the world, and I've I've been blessed with with a great career now with now seeing things with with my children and 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 doing uh you know things with them so yeah i there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of topics in there and and again not all of them are serious great well i i appreciate the fact that you're able to share your story and share your concepts your ideas in a fun and easy to read way 212 pages and the title of this your first publication to hit the streets a jumble of thoughts my author james sitton james this is a great read my authors uh, my authors my uh, uh listeners will want to get a copy of it how do they find it um you can find it at barnes and noble uh you can find it also on amazon.com barnesandnoble.com and uh, all of your other, any of your major merchant, merchants, if they don't have it, they can order it. Fabulous. And did you enjoy the process enough that perhaps there'll be a sequel? I did, and thank you for asking. There is going to be a sequel. It is already um, just about finished, and it's called A Jumble of Thoughts 2, T-O-O. So it's going to be continuing along the same thing. Another collection of essays, uh, you know, topical things that are going on, and just continuing, continuing where this one left off. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Uh, the book title again, A Jumble of Thoughts. My author, James Sitton, S-I-T-T-O-N. If you're doing a search online, you'll find this and his subsequent book. Thank you for joining me today, and uh, look forward to visiting with you in the future. Thank you very much, and I look forward to it as well. James, delighted to visit with you. You have a good day. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker.